Welcome to episode 97 of the Truth Quest podcast, the truth about April 2020. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as socialism in America, lessons learned from the coronavirus, price gouging, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, or secession comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean.com, and most recently, ThinkSpot. The video versions of the podcast are available on YouTube, BitChute.com, and Brighteon.com. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest Podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook and Twitter advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. So of course the biggest, the really the only story of April 2020 was, drumroll please, the coronavirus. With most of the country under shelter-at-home orders, we started hearing rumblings that the death toll was being overstated at hospitals as they were instructed and apparently compensated accordingly. When anyone died at the facility and they also tested positive for COVID-19, the cause of death was to be listed as the coronavirus. So you are brought into the emergency room with a head trauma from a fall or a car accident and you died. But if you tested positive for COVID-19, that death was attributed to the disease. This practice was not just isolated to the United States. Other countries around the world were doing the same thing. In a related story, pneumonia deaths are way down this year. I wonder why. Dr. Fauci, the head dude at the White House coronavirus medical team, he's actually the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Anyways, this gentleman who is a apparently president by proxy, admitted that the U.S. was given wrong information of which they created their models that led to their so-called guidelines that we shelter in place for the last six to eight weeks. Well, thanks for letting us know. Senator Rand Paul recovered from the virus and started volunteering at a local hospital. New York's death toll hit over 15,000. Turns out that New York City is the epicenter of the outbreak in the United States. Governor Cuomo garnered national recognition from the mainstream media for his daily briefings early in the month. Then the nation as a whole kind of grew tired of his act after the real media started pointing out the fact that he and the idiot mayor of New York City, de Blasio, never shut down or restricted subway travel. Nothing like being restricted to a small metal tube in close quarters to pass a virus around. Cuomo also ordered nursing home residents with the virus to be returned to their facility after treatment. That policy likely resulted in hundreds of unnecessary deaths. Here's a breakdown of some of the death tolls by country at the end of April. Italy and the UK both had about 28,000 deaths. Spain, 25,000. France, 24. New York had 18,000. Countries like Belgium, Germany, and Brazil had about had between six and seven thousand deaths. Worldwide, there were over two hundred and forty-four thousand deaths. The dastardly and dreaded big pharma companies, at least if you listen to National Democrats, these greedy capitalistic pig big pharma companies from around the globe, from Israel and Germany to the U.S., made remarkable progress on vaccines and treatments of the virus 
proving two very important lessons. First, without the profit motive to incentivize these companies to create these treatments, why would they do it? That question is directed at any listeners that support socialism, or as we discussed in episode 96, those of you who support socialistic, big government, freedom-restricting policies. And the second lesson that this episode teaches us is the obvious need to reduce the power of the FDA and CDC and the federal and state government regulatory complex in general. Our industries, our, our businesses are overregulated. In the case of the drug companies specifically and the healthcare industry in general, the overregulation causes death. Why are these regulations necessary if during an emergency we suspend many of them? As the virus progresses, it turns out that the real mortality rate is something like 25 to 60 times less than the figures presented to us by the media and a number of governments, due to the fact that the denominator, the number of people infected, continues to rise at a dramatic rate as testing for the antibody ramps up. Meanwhile, the numerator, the number of deaths, rises at a less rapid rate. Over 30 million Americans lost their jobs over the six-week period ending in April. That's over 450 jobs lost for every COVID-19 death. The governor of Georgia announced a modest reopening strategy for his state, as did Alaska, Colorado, Mississippi, Montana, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. The media relentlessly bashed selective governors for their reckless decision. One outlet compared reopening their economy to human sacrifice. When I say selective, I mean they bashed Georgia, Texas, Alaska, South Carolina, Mississippi, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. Strangely enough, Governor Steve Bullock of Montana and Jared Polis of Colorado escaped media scorn. What's the difference? Do you really have to ask? The former are all Republicans. The latter two are Democrats. What media bias? On a side note, Trump supported Georgia's decision to reopen before he didn't, before he did again. I feel the need to go off on a tangent here and pontificate just a bit. Trump is not an ideologue. That has its benefits, but also a downside. He's not a constitutional scholar, which is all downside. What's the principle that he could have hung his hat on here when it comes to states reopening? How about federalism? The fact that the states are sovereign, the fact that the federal government is constitutionally restricted to a few enumerated powers. If the governor of Georgia wants to reopen his state, he as the president of the United States has absolutely no power and no input into that decision. Why is that? Simple. Because the document in which Trump and every member of Congress swore an oath to protect and defend does not grant the federal government any power to involve itself in the state's economy, whether there's a pandemic or not. Bernie Sanders dropped out of the Democratic primary and endorsed Biden. Why the hell not? His entire agenda is already implemented. There's nothing left to do. We have top-down central banking system. We have a top-down healthcare system. We have a top-down take-from-the-productive-give-to-the-unproductive welfare system. We have top-down bailouts of biblical proportions. Bernie's work is done. Listen to the last episode, number 96, The Truth About Socialism in America, if you, and see if you agree. Then Obama endorsed Biden. I can hear Biden now. Finally, thanks for nothing, boss. You wait until there's no one else to endorse, then you speak up. That's a true friend right there, folks. 
Then Elizabeth Warren endorsed Biden, another one of those so-called friends. Joe continued to demonstrate his easily identified mental impairment during a handful of interviews and published video commentaries from his basement. The mainstream media simply ignores his continued gaffes. Then Biden floated the idea of picking Michelle Obama as his running mate. Personally, I hope he does it, just so I can lovingly ask my loyal Democratic friends and family who ruthlessly bash Sarah Palin as unqualified. I can ask them to describe what qualifications Michelle brings to the table. That will be glorious. Then the mainstream media and the Democratic Party tried to ignore the sexual assault charges levied against Biden. No Kavanaugh treatment for him, no sir. He was accused of sexual assault for fingering a former aide, Tara Reid, in the 1990s. Then Reid filed a criminal complaint. Then AOC called for an investigation into Biden's sexual assault accusation. Unlike the Kavanaugh lynching, there is actually some contemporaneous evidence of the assault, including conversations with friends and a former neighbor, and at the time, Reid's mother called into the Larry King show to ask how to handle sexual assault by a powerful member of Congress. Then several so-called prominent Democratic women, all of whom just so happen are hoping to be Biden's running mate, Senators Amy Klobuchar, Kamala Harris, Christian Gillibrand, uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, and failed gubernatorial candidate in Georgia Stacey Abrams, a real winner, who has spent the last three years claiming she was cheated out of the office despite no evidence. All of these supposedly woke Me Too supporters essentially called Reid a liar. Because they, of course, believe Joe. These are the same women, all of whom supported Blasey Ford's unsubstantiated claims against Brent Kavanaugh. They are the same women who walk around chanting, Believe all women! And under their breath, they must say, Unless the accused is a prominent Democrat politician. Then in the midst of the sexual assault allegation, the most cheated on woman in American history, Hillary Clinton, endorsed Joe and proceeded to say out loud that we must not let a crisis go to waste and then called for an ever-increasing unconstitutional power grab by the federal government in the name of justice, health justice, social justice, and several other adjectives that I had never heard used with the word justice. Then Nancy Pelosi went on CNN and said, quote, Well, I have great sympathy for any woman who brings forth an allegation. I'm a big, strong supporter of the Me Too movement. I think it's made a great contribution to our country, and I do support Joe Biden. I'm satisfied with how he has responded. I know him. I was proud to endorse him Monday. Very proud to endorse him. So I'm satisfied with that, end quote. Which is to say, I'm satisfied with his lack of a response, because at the time of her appearance on CNN, Joe had not responded to the allegations. Then several days later, Joe denied the allegation in an appearance on MSNBC. And no, no tough follow-up questions were offered. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 12% and the S&P 500 up 13% in the month of April. Throughout the month, a one-ounce gold coin sold for over $130 to $140 over the spot price, and silver continued to sell for between $4 and $5 over spot, indicating price gouging in the retail gold and silver market. Nah, I'm just kidding about that last comment. It simply indicates the extraordinary demand for precious metals amid historic money printing by the federal government in so-called stimulus. Listen to episode 92, The Truth About Price Gouging, if you're interested in that topic. 
Anyways, gold started the month out at just under $1,600 an ounce and ended at over $1,700. So that was about a 6% gain. Silver started the month at about $1,420, ended at just over $15 an ounce for about a 7% gain. Bank of America increased their 18-month price target on gold to $3,000 an ounce, stating in, an, in their analysis that the Fed can't print gold. Check out episode 62, The Truth About Gold and Sound Money, if this topic is of any interest. Speaking of the Fed, it started moving for the first time into junk bonds, municipal bonds, and corporate bonds. Nothing like a little unconstitutional monetary policy to send the country into an inflationary tailspin. Nothing like continued manipulation of the financial markets by the federal government. The Fed is buying assets because there are not nearly enough holders of cash interested in buying these assets. Without Fed purchases, there would be massive asset deflation. The portfolios of hedge funds and banks might collapse. Financial firms might go bankrupt, and the Fed certainly can't allow that. After more than a decade of the Fed holding interest rates artificially low, companies, governments, and households, for that matter, are all highly leveraged. And now with the shutdown, rampant unemployment at the level never seen before, and stay-at-home orders, none of them possess the income to pay their bills. So, we have officially become bailout nation. You get a bailout. You get a bailout. Almost everybody gets a bailout. It's Oprahnomics. Fed is now both the lender and buyer of last resort. Can't see where this could go wrong. As I mentioned earlier, some 30 million people had filed for unemployment in the last six weeks. That's just under 10% of the population of the country. That's 16% of the U.S. workforce. The unofficial unemployment rate is over 20% because not everyone files for unemployment. Think about all the business owners and contractors and gig economy workers who are not eligible to file for unemployment. We've got to be talking in numbers of 40 to 50 million people. President Trump announced the halting of funding for the World Health Organization after their bootlicking of China when the virus initially broke out, their misinformation about the virus, and their suppressing of the truth about the virus. Two weeks later, the WHO asked Trump to reconsider the funding halt. Then the WHO came out and proclaimed that the Swedish model, the one that dictated that senior citizens shelter in place while younger people go about their business while employing social distancing and, and adhering to other restrictions on large gatherings, was the best model to fight the virus. This after just a month earlier warning that lifting coronavirus lockdowns was, quote, the last thing countries needed. Shutdowns, it insisted, quote, are the best way to suppress and stop transmission, end quote, proving yet again that you assume all the risk when you put all your eggs in one centralized government authority basket like the WHO or the European Union or dictates from the White House. If they are wrong, everyone suffers. It's always better to allow countries, and here in the United States, the states to do their own thing. It allows everyone else to learn either from their mistakes or their best practices. The price of oil went negative at one point during the month. It was actually in the futures market. It had something to do with the, those holding a contract that ended in the trading window having to take physical delivery of the oil they bought, which is very, very rare. The fact that the price went negative indicates that all storage capacity is used up. Throughout the coronavirus shutdown, the price of oil has plummeted due to low consumption, since no one's driving, as well as the fact that Russia and Saudi Arabia continue to manipulate the market, looking to drive the U.S. frackers out of business. They can't afford for the United States to be energy independent. 
the money set aside by Congress known as PPP, Payroll Protection Program, ran out in less than a week. When a debrief was conducted on the process, it turned out very few businesses with 20 or fewer employees actually received loans. But all the big boys got theirs. Major restaurant chains, the airlines, and other large employers were all granted loans. Even publicly traded companies, who have access to the capital markets, were getting money. Meanwhile, the guy who owns a restaurant and a food truck were stuck with nothing. This proves yet again, as I have pointed out in many episodes, the federal government, which has a 100% failure rate, is too big to succeed. They couldn't stand up a functioning Obamacare website, and they can't even distribute money properly. Then the Congress passed another bill for $310 billion to supposedly get money to truly small businesses. Of course, the SBA portal crashed four minutes after it opened. Typical. Throughout the entire month, dealing with the coronavirus and the shutdowns and the money being doled out, the National Democrats continued to be just horrible. Nancy Pelosi dismissed Congress and refused to come back for over a week after the the aid to small businesses just mentioned ran out. She instead conducted a bizarre interview at her home and talked about how much she liked ice cream. Meanwhile, other Democrats lobbied for billions of federal dollars to be set aside for some of the country's largest, most well-endowed nonprofit organizations like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, the American Museum of Natural History, and the New York Botanical Garden. The first two have assets in the billions of dollars, and the Botanical Gardens have over $300 million in investments. Yeah, they really need a bailout. And other members of the National Democrats compared the death toll of U.S. soldiers in Vietnam to the coronavirus deaths, of course blaming Trump. These people continue to prove time and time again that they have no soul. They, they have no religion other than politics. Nothing else explains their laser focus on bashing their political opponents, the name-calling, the lying, the slander, the virtue signaling. It's pathetic and it's dangerous. Trump issued an executive order temporarily suspending immigration into the United States. With over 30 million people out of work, one of his rationales was to limit competition for jobs. No surprise, the left cried racism and xenophobia. But what else is new? They have a very limited playbook. In the most bizarre yet telling story of the month, one in which the media spent a solid week obsessing over, one in which every liberal on social media tagged their favorite non-liberal friend and demanded that they refute... President Trump made a strange comment at one of his infamous coronavirus task force news conferences. Quote, Then I see the disinfectant where it knocks the virus out in a minute. One minute. And is there a way we can do something like by injection inside or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets in the lungs and it does a tremendous number on the lungs. End quote. So the president seemed to suggest injecting disinfectant into the body. Yep, if you missed it. That is a true statement and a real quote. However, any non-biased observer could call it diarrhea of the mouth. It's a perfect example of Trump's perpetual foot-and-mouth disease. His public appearances were subsequently shortened. I want to end this episode on the saga of Michael Flynn because I believe it will be the biggest story of the coming month, and it just started hitting the headlines here in the last week of April. As you may remember, Michael Flynn is a retired three-star general, and he was president-elect Trump's national security advisor. He subsequently pleaded guilty in 2017 to lying to FBI agents and later declined a federal judge's invitation to withdraw that plea. He has since sought to vacate that plea. 
Why, you ask? Because it turns out the FBI wasn't exactly truthful in their pursuit of Flynn, as new evidence demonstrates. It appears they actually targeted him and attempted to frame him in a perjury trap, and they threatened to prosecute his son if he did not plead guilty. Do you see why some people call the FBI the FB lie? I would love to see nothing less than Flynn officially exonerated and Trump bringing him back into the administration in some capacity, preferably in one where he can instill maximum damage on the very agency that ruined his life. And I'd love to see several current and former FBI agents and administrators prosecuted. It's about time the dual justice system whereby those who are aligned with the National Democratic Party apparatus get away with murder, and everyone else, i.e. Scooter Libby, Michael Flynn, Paul Manafort, Roger Stone, and George Papadopoulos, get the book thrown at them. That dual justice system needs to be obliterated once and for all. The United States became great largely because it was a nation of laws. When that system breaks down, so goes the entire system. If you're looking for an easy-to-read reference guide to have on your desk or bookshelf that covers many of the topics tackled here on the TruthQuest podcast, grab a copy of my book, Critical Thinking, spelled with a P like Paul. The subtitle is The Lost Art of Critical Thinking and Common Sense in Politics and Public Policy. In it, I tackle dozens of public policy issues from a pragmatic and logical perspective. It's available at Amazon and anywhere books are sold. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for more information. And as always, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.